0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises off.
1: Hey everyone, want to give you a quick introduction to this episode because it's a little bit different. Well, a lot (laughs) different from our regular episodes. For this week's episode, what we're doing is we're highlighting one of my favorite episodes from the Ask With Confidence podcast. That is the American Negotiation Institute's second podcast, hosted by Katherine Knapke, our chief operating officer, and it's all about gender dynamics in negotiation. This episode in particular I think is really important because the guest is one of the most impactful authors on the topic of gender dynamics in negotiation. And I think this would be great for the listeners of the Negotiate Anything podcast who are women, because once you understand the barriers that are in front of you, then you can understand how to overcome them. And also for my fellow men out there, if you truly care about equity, you need to understand these gender dynamics so we can be better allies. So I really enjoyed this episode, and hopefully this leads more of you to check out Catherine's content because it is top-notch. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode.
2: Hello, ladies, and welcome to another exciting episode on the Ask With Confidence podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today and hope you leave this episode feeling empowered to take on your most difficult conversations. I'm your host, Katherine Kanaki. I'm a nurse, mediator, and the Chief Operating Officer at the American Negotiation Institute, and I am passionate about helping women like you get the most out of your conversations and get ahead in life. Before we start, is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If so, check out our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we would love to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Hi, everyone. We have Sarah Lashever today. Sarah is the co-author with Linda Babcock of Women Don't Ask, and I am so excited for this episode. Women Don't Ask was one of the first books that was ever recommended to me with starting learning how to negotiate and advocate for myself. So super excited. And I'm going to let Sarah introduce herself. Sarah, thanks for joining us.
3: Oh, hi! Uh, nice to be here. Nice to hear your enthusiasm. I I love to hear when the book has made an impact on people's lives.
2: Absolutely. I think you know the the number one book that people will recommend to me is Women Don't Ask. So love the book, and I'm so excited to have you. So why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? I know I've already kind of introduced you, but mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. we want to hear some more.
3: Well, I think of myself as a social science writer, but I wrote write almost exclusively about women and work with a strong focus on women in negotiation, how women can advocate for themselves to get what they want, what they deserve, what they need, what they're interested in. And I co-wrote two books. Actually, Women Don't Ask was the first, and Women Don't Ask is really social science. It's demonstrating that this is a social fact about women and men in our cultures, that men tend to ask for things much more frequently for themselves than women do, and looks at the causes and the costs. Now, since I wrote it, I think it's very accessible, but it is, you know, it's know—it's—it's tied to a really strong research foundation that this is not just my hunch, it's not just what Linda thinks, it's not, you know, Linda Babcock, whom I co-wrote the books with, it's, based on some pretty solid research. And then, you know, with a lot of interviews to illustrate how these phenomena can play out in in everyday life. And then after Women Don't Ask was published, we heard from a lot of women who said, okay, I know I have this problem. Tell me what to do about it. And so we wrote a second book called Ask For It. And Ask For It is really a self-training manual to help women learn to be better negotiators and walks them through all the regular stuff that any negotiation book might um, get, help you learn to you know, prepare carefully, well, thoroughly, but with a special funct- a focus on the um, you know, the issues, the challenges that women encounter.
2: Fantastic. I know exactly what is the next book on my reading list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. wonderful yeah. to have you here. Today, we're going to be talking about how to be successful in negotiations. And in in general, that's kind of what we talk about over the course of the show. That's basically what this podcast is about. But, you know, we want to hear from an expert. So Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about three key areas, first being research, then we're going to move on into role-playing, and then what to do in the actual negotiation. So kind of this step-by-step about how to be successful as a woman in your negotiations. So why don't you start us off? Tell us about research.
3: Well, the research is very clear that women ask for things pretty reluctantly. We're socialized very heavily from the time we're quite young to wait to be praised, wait to be rewarded, wait to be invited to do things. And the ways in which we're socialized are fascinating. Actually start on the day a baby is born. One cool study showed that parents and nurses perceive little boy and little girl babies differently on the first day of their lives. They see little girl babies as more fragile, physically not as strong, less coordinated, less alert, and more needy, more in need of being cared for, picked up, comforted, et cetera. And they see little boy babies as physically stronger, more alert, more coordinated, and more able to take care of themselves, less in need of comforting. And this socialization carries on throughout childhood. It's very profound, and the impact is almost immediate. By the time kids are in first grade, they have learned this lesson pretty well. Boys will raise their hands in class, asking for the teacher's attention, even when they don't know the answer to a question. And girls will not raise their hands even when they do know the answers. They have already learned to wait to be recognized for their brains and their hard work and their accomplishments. And we teach kids with the books we give them, the television shows and movies they watch, the behavior we model. We teach a lot with the chores that we give them. We typically give little girls chores that involve taking care of other people, taking care of younger siblings, taking care of the rest of the family, helping mom with household chores. Uh, chores that don't require a lot of initiative; they're not self-starting so much. You're not going to leave a you know a child alone with an infant, or let a little girl stand at a stove and cook. So they don't require initiative, and they are you know largely focused on, uh, on the needs of other people. Boys more typically do chores or asked to do chores outside the house, go wash the car, go rake the leaves, go mow the lawn. So it requires more independence, more initiative, go get your tools, go do it. You know, stop when you think you've done a good job. And most significantly, boys are more commonly paid for their chores than girls are. So dad will say, you know, I'll give you five bucks if you wash the car, the Mom will say, 10 dollars you can get all those leaves right this weekend, so boys er- learn that they work for money. well, girls learn that they work for love, which sadly doesn't pay very well that is fascinating, just fascinating yeah i i I think so you know I have a couple of boys, and they're you know young adults now, but when they were small, I used to hire babysitters, and whenever I could, I tried to order i mean <laughs> Hire a uh, you know a male babysitter a, a teenage boy, but I, I you know I hired both boys and girls and I would always ask whoever I hired so what do you want to be paid? And the girls would without fail say oh just pay me whatever you think is fair. And the boys would say well I'd like ten dollars an hour or I'd like twelve dollars an hour. So girls had already gotten the message it's up to somebody else to decide what you get what your work is worth. Uh, and boys like I get to say this is what I want. And, you know, it carries on into adulthood. And when women reach the workforce, they look around and they see that behaving in an aggressive, demanding way, even if it's not that aggressive and not that demanding, even in ways that men behave that go unremarked, that are fine, that when women act you know more forthright about their goals or what they want, they get punished. They get rebuffed. We, um, you know, don't invite them to collaborate with us. We devalue their work based on their personalities rather than on how good the work really is. We don't recommend them for promotions, powerful committee seats, etc. And we stigmatize them with ugly names. And I don't need to say what all of them are. So women, young women, like—is it okay to ask? How do I do that? See other women getting. What we call socially sanctioned, getting punished in this way, often conclude that's a bad strategy. I'm just going to be grateful for whatever I get. You know, there's one other factor there which has to do with networks that women are typically peripheral to or excluded completely from the social and professional networks in which men share a lot of information and give each other a lot of advice. So, men in power often have access to resources coming down the line, discretionary funds, they know about you know, high-profile teams being staffed up or valuable accounts that have just come in, they don't necessarily send an email to anybody who might be interested or go knock on the door of anyone they think might be qualified. They mention it to the people in their networks. And Men in Power, their networks also made up largely of men. So one reason men ask for things more than women do is just have more information about what's available, what they could be asking for. Wow.
2: So that all sounds, (laughs) yeah,
3: really so bad. <laughs> there You asked.
2: Yeah, that all sounds really bad. And like the odds are stacked against women. And clearly, you know, there are some things that we need to do at the early stages of female raising development our children. Yes. <laughs> that are that are very clear. But, you know, for those of us who are listening and are probably adults and, and in our careers, you know, we can't escape that socialism that already happened. So how do we maneuver around that?
3: Well, you know, there are a couple of things. Let's just start with prepping. And really, more than anything else, you need to do your homework. You need to do your research and find out in advance what you're worth, what you could be asking for, what other people are getting. Because when women do not have any reference points, when we have not done that research, we underprice ourselves. We think we are worth less. Our work is worth less than it really is. So, you have to start by, you know, whatever, getting on the web. There are lots of great websites with information about jobs in different professions, lots of big websites that look at many professions. There are websites that give you information about, you know, women's status in particular fields. So, you know, start with the web and then talk to your social and professional networks. Try to figure out who might be able to give you some insight into what other people have gotten at your organization or in your field or in your region uh, for doing what you're doing. And that can mean talking to the executive assistants who work for people in power, who often know a lot about what other people have gotten, and will see the paperwork going across their desk where the women are always being paid less than the men, the men are moving ahead faster, and they're actually quite ready to share that. It could mean talking to people that you admire, people who are a little more advanced, and say, you know, this is what I'm hoping for. This is what I want to do. What should I be asking for? What do I need to get from here to there? Or I really admire your career. Would you be willing to talk to me about critical turning points, things you negotiated that really jump-started things or helped get where you are? So you want to talk to anybody who might have some insight and in you know, into what you should be asking for, what you can expect to get. And don't overlook HR. Often people in HR have a lot of information that they're prepared to share. I once taught a workshop at West Virginia University uh, in Morgantown, and there were people, women from all over the university, lots of different departments who came to the workshop, and a couple of women were saying, you know, I don't know how they figure this out. There's some kind of formula or so, I don't know how they decide what things are worth. And there was a woman there from HR who raised her hand. She said, come and ask us. We can tell you what the system is. So, you know, think about where you might be able to get that information and make friends with the people who uh, who could share information you need.
2: Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to connect. Our workshops are completely customized to reflect the specific and individual concerns faced by you and your team. Our calendar is filling up quickly, and we even have workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Click the link in the description to learn more. And now, let's get back to the episode.
0: Learn more at TIAA.org backslash Promises Pay Off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets.
1: The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all.
0: Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career career.
1: I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your
0: passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I love it. When we're preparing, one of the things that we talked about was timing and mm-hmm. how do you work that into preparation and why is timing important?
3: Well, timing's important for a couple of reasons. One is of course you don't want to do all your prep, all your work talk, prepare, start, you know, whatever, and then go in and have them say, Oh, all those decisions were closed uh, three weeks ago. You know, you you have to wait till the next cycle. So you really want to know when you have to ask in order to get what you want, you know, in a timely way. The second thing is you do not want to ask when the other side is in the middle of a crisis, putting out fires, whatever you want to you know, ask at a time when they can actually pay attention to your request and where they're not going to feel like you're just piling one more problem on top of a bunch of others. You also don't want to wait until you're really angry about it, that you feel like you've been overlooked, you haven't been appreciated, your contributions haven't been recognized, and you're mad. Because if you are angry, desperate, fed up, you're not going to do a very good job in the negotiation. If you go in in that kind of teeth gritting, you know, annoyed frame of mind, those kinds of moods are contagious. And the other person will respond with some tension, some, some resistance, and it won't go so well. And there's one other thing I'll say about timing, which is great if you can to time your ask to a moment when your value is particularly salient. So you've just brought in, landed a really big account, or you just had your work written up in the local business press, or an, a big valuable client just gave you a fantastic evaluation, whatever wants to call your boss and tell you tell how great you are. If you're an academic, you just got a paper published in a high profile journal, something like that, so that they really know how much they want you, how valuable you are when you go in and ask.
2: Brilliant. I love all of those. Now with that you you brought up a good point about bringing it up when your work is salient. Yep. But I know, you know, and women don't ask. One of the points that was made in there is that women spend a lot of time waiting to be recognized. And so how do you combat that or how do you make sure that you are being recognized if maybe you don't have like a big client coming in or something that is very beneficial or obviously recognizable to the company that would have a lot of eyes on it what do you do in that instance
3: well there are a couple of things one is as a general rule try to let people know what you're up to so uh, one study showed that when men running to each other in the elevator or at the water cooler in the copy room they tend to talk about what they're working on. i'll say i don't know if you heard i got whatever such and such hit these targets got that published some you know that whatever, got these study results that were fascinating. Well, women tend to talk about their social, personal family, you know, their social lives, their personal lives. So use those opportunities not to seem like you're bragging because when women seem boastful, we don't like them as much, sadly, and that will make it harder for you to get what you want. But she's like, I don't know if you heard I got this paper published or, you know, I've been working on this whatever, this account and things are going really well, they're thrilled, we came in under budget early, whatever, you know, in a way that people just have a general sense of what you're working on and that you're, um, that you're really knocking it out of the park. The second thing is when teams, if you're part of a team and the team does really good work or has big accomplishments, the women on the team typically get the least credit for the accomplishments of the team. So you need to make sure that there is a record by email in your, you know, personnel file, you know, make sure that people know that there is a a written record of your contributions so that you can draw attention to that when the time comes. And then, you know, deploy your fans. If there are, if you have colleagues or supervisors or former supervisors that, you know, think highly, if you ask them to talk you up, tap your networks, get them to, you know, let the important people know how good you are.
2: Wonderful. With all of that preparation, are there any things that women typically miss or don't do when they're preparing that would be very beneficial?
3: Well, I you know, I do tend to go towards role playing. I think women often many many people and with you know, men as well as women, but particularly women feel a lot of anxiety, a lot of nervousness about negotiating. They know that it can be a little perilous for women if they come off as too aggressive or demanding. They think of it as an aggressive interaction, which ideally it isn't. But we do think of negotiation as, you know, give me what I want, as being a little bit more adversarial. And women know that people don't respond well to women they think are too aggressive. So a lot of women feel nervous about it. Uh, just because of the performance issues, but also because it matters to them, whatever it is, and it's perfectly reasonable to have strong feelings when something is important. Not useful to take that, any emotionalism into the actual conversation. So I'm a big fan of of role playing get together with a friend or a colleague, somebody you trust. Brief this person thoroughly, not just about the content of the negotiation, but about what you're worried about, and then play it through. Get them to really. Take it seriously, push your buttons, hurt your feelings, insult you, make you angry, embarrass you, whatever it is, and then practice calm responses that move things away from those sort of flashpoints towards a more joint problem-solving kind of conversation. All right, so we're far apart. Let's keep talking. Let's see if we can find some middle ground. Or oh wow, you seem surprised. We didn't mean to scare you. Tell me what you would is more appropriate or close can you come if that seems out of reach? Or it seems like maybe we have some misunderstandings here. What am I not getting? I I, want to hear more about what's going on on your side of the table. So you practice these responses. You know what to say if the thing you're worried about happens. And also, second benefit, if it happens, it won't surprise you. The emotion that is triggered won't surprise you because you've had the emotion triggered in your role play. And it turns out it is the surprise, as much as the feeling itself, that it tends to derail us. We're like, oh, "All right, I'm I'm upset. I don't know what I don't have. How do I, I don't know what to do?" And then we just take whatever's on the table so we can get out, get get out of there. So I'm a big fan of that kind of preparation. I would also say, if you do have a lot of concerns about whatever losing your composure, that there are a few other things that you can do. One thing is do whatever you can to get yourself into a good mood before you walk in the room. I talked about how negative moods, anger, frustration, irritation is contagious. The good thing is that cheerfulness is also contagious. So if you can walk in the room feeling kind of relaxed, upbeat, cheerful, that will be mirrored back by the other person and you'll get into a more creative, brainstorming, productive conversation. So, you know, what a, endorphins, if if you're athletic or, you you know, schedule your negotiation so you can go for a run before work or take a break at lunch and go for a swim or maybe do yoga, you know, meditate. Some people find that really helps them to even out. Some people will say, I just have lunch with people who think I'm the, you know, funniest, most charming person in the world. And then I get back to work smiling, feeling good about myself. And I am, um, and I walk in. So think about what will send you in there, you know, kind of upbeat and uh, in a good place. And then when you get in there, don't go in guns blazing. How you ask as a woman, incredibly critical. If you come off as demanding or aggressive, it won't go as well. If you can make warm eye contact, use that relaxed, upbeat tone of voice, open body language, you know, shake hands, smile. and ask in a way that feels you know, comfortable for you. So using your social skills, and women typically do have pre- a pretty good read on their own social skills, to come off as likable. Uh, for women to be influential or persuasive, the research is quite clear, we have to come off as likable. And that may feel like an extra effort and an extra burden, and it is. It's a shame. Uh, but if we're aware of it, uh, you know, it's something maybe you can use to your advantage. Excellent.
2: So this actually kind of moves us into the actual negotiation. Cause I know with yes. the role playing you're yes. practicing, what you're actually going to do. So one of the things that gets brought up a lot and the concerns that we hear is how do I assert myself while still being nice?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I said, do your research and I'm, not only do I want you to collect all the information that demonstrates your value, so your CV, your publications, your portfolio, your evaluations, whatever it is that really substantiates you know, your value, and any other data you can bring that shows that what you're asking for will actually be good for the other side. So if you make what we call a relational argument, if you give me what I'm asking for, it will help you, the group, the division, the company, advance towards its goal strategy, whatever. Really making that argument that it will be good for the company to give you what you're asking for. And so bring that data with you and show it to the other person. See, I've done these spreadsheets or here, you know, this is an analysis of last quarter and what went well, what didn't. And I think I can, you know, fix the stuff that didn't work if you give me what I'm asking for. Any data you can present to support your argument that this will be good for them will increase the odds that you'll get what you want. Ask a lot of questions. If somebody seems like they're tensing up or they are stonewalling and you don't know why, asking questions is like the super skill. Draw them out. Not only will you get a lot of information, but you will convey that you care about their problems, what's going on on their side of the table. And that will hopefully move things towards you know, a sense of alliance between you as opposed to you being, you know, adversaries. And, you know, hopefully you can then be more creative about how to answer both of your needs, get, you know, both of you get most of what you need from the negotiation. You know, we call what we call win-win.
2: Yeah, no, I love that. And I I like that you say ask a lot of questions. So we offer free negotiation guides. You can go to our website, americannegotiation.com slash guides and get access to tons of different free guides. And one of the things on all of those guides, there's a section to come up with open-ended questions because that can get really hard to do when you're really stressed out and figure out what question do I need to ask or what should I be asking here or how do I get more information? So making sure that you do that in your preparation is very helpful, especially since women often Avoid negotiations because of anxiety, like we talked about. So I love that. Now, with that anxiety, and I'm going to backtrack just slightly, mm-hmm. getting to the actual negotiation, there is anxiety around actually asking. What is the best way to present asking? So, say you're going into a salary negotiation, how do you bring that up to whomever you need to talk to about that? What is the best way to do that?
3: Well, there are a couple of different things. If you have another offer, which can be very powerful in negotiating. Position, you do not want to go in and say. So I have this other offer. If you don't meet it, I'm, you know, I'm going to walk because coming from a woman, that won't be well received. They may just say, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Uh, where a man, same thing. They might say, yeah, you're really valuable. I think I will meet the offer. So rather go in and say, hey, you know, I hope this is a good time. I want to talk to you about my situation. I love working. You know, compliments. I love working here. I think you're a great boss. I love my job. People love to be complimented. <laughs> so this is a great job. I love this. but I have this other offer and it's a really good offer and I have to take it seriously, but I'd really rather stay here. So I thought maybe we could talk about it and see if it, you know, if we could find a way for me to stay. So that's a really good way to go a little softer on the interpersonal dynamics while still asking for, you know, them to meet a really good offer. You don't have a good offer, then there are, you know, a variety of ways to approach it, depending on whether it you know, you're going into your annual review and you know that they're going to give you a cost of living increase, but you want a merit increase on top of that. And you bring your data and you say, so I want to talk to you about all I've accomplished this year. And I'm hoping that you'll be persuaded that it really, uh, you know, merits a, a little bit more than the straight cost of living increase and then you talk about everything you've done and if you're applying for a new job then it gets a little more complicated because many potential employers will say so what are your salary requirements what do you want to make and this can put you at a disadvantage especially if you're a woman and especially if they say what are you making now All right since women typically are paid less than men if you tell them where you are They may say, okay, we'll give you 5% more, and you'll still be behind. Fortunately, in a number of places, including the state I live in, Massachusetts, which was the first, it is now illegal to ask people what their previous salary was. But there are only about, I think, 11 states in which that's the case. So if they want to, you know, if they ask about salary in any form, you know, what do you want to make, what's your previous thing? I'd really rather not talk about money until I get a better sense of what the job is. And you know, keep talking, keep talking, ask questions, try to get a sense it's level five or it's a level six position, then maybe you can, you know, whatever, say, let's pick up this conversation tomorrow. Or if this has been so great, I'm very interested in working for you. You need to reflect on what we've already talked about. I don't want to make a rash decision. I'm sure you don't want me to. Could we take a break? And then you can get on the web, call people, whatever, and find out what level five, Physicians usually pay if that, you know, if you didn't know beforehand or, you know, whatever, you've gotten pretty far along and they say again, what are your salary requirements? You could say, honestly, you know, I've heard that I shouldn't talk about salary till I get an offer. And so wait basically for them to go first.
2: So there are some job postings. I know in the past when I've had to apply for a job and they will ask you to write in salary.
3: How do you navigate that as a woman? Well, so if you're applying over the web, which in most cases people are these days, they often will have, you know, whatever, you have to fill out a form and it'll say what are your requirements. If you can not fill that, whatever dialogue window out, don't. And If they really press you, that's where the research is critical. You need to find out as much as you can from the web, from your, you know, whatever extended network, what the range typically is, and then put in a range near the top of the, oh, so if the range is, you know, 120 to 140, put in, you know, 135 to 145 or something like that, or 135 to 150, and hope that maybe you'll get the top of the range. If you start a little below the top and push a little above, they will be hopefully grateful that they can get you for less than the the, the top that figure that you've named.
2: Excellent. Yeah, some of them will allow you to actually type in words and won't block mm-hmm. you with numbers. And so one of the things that we recommend is to write willing to negotiate or yeah. open for discussion. And That's so good. that way to to bypass that. So, once you get into the actual negotiation, what are some things that we can do to be successful? I know we already talked about being nice, but mm-hmm. what are some other things that will help us in the actual
3: negotiation? Well, we've talked about you know, whatever your tone of voice, asking lots of questions, providing data. I, you know, one thing I think people don't consider is how you're sitting in the room. So if you sit opposite each other, that creates a more adversarial or competitive climate, you know, around the negotiation. So if you can sit catty corner around a table, so you're, you know, next to each other, you can lay out the data in front of you, that creates a more collaborative feel. Try not to negotiate in a space where the power differential is particularly salient, where he is sitting behind a big desk and you're sitting in a little chair, you know, or a place where you'll be interrupted a lot or where he or you, she or you will be distracted. You know, if you can get into a a conference room, an empty conference room and sit catty corner, I'm a big fan of that. So then we talk about, you know, the way you ask, your, your demeanor, asking lots of questions, Uh, trying to figure out what it is that they care most about. So uh, talking about not, you know, their position, but their needs and thinking of ways in which you can solve problems for them that will, you know, increase their incentive to give you what you're asking for. The other thing I would say is if you cannot get what you want in one domain, you know, most negotiations are about more than one thing, you know, money, title, start date. Vacation time, number of reports, what you respond, whatever. They could be about a lot of different things, and you may not get all of them. Then don't just say, "Oh, okay." Say, "Okay, can we revisit this in six months, or can we, you know, regroup in three months and, and see if the picture has changed?" Then, and if they say, "Okay," then send a follow up email to to confirm that that's what they agreed to.
2: I like what you said about sitting catty corner. Now I'm thinking about, you know, when I've done the negotiations, particularly when I'm trying to get hired at a job and Mm -hmm. they have, have all the power. They've, they're in that leadership position. You're wanting them to hire you. And then they lead you into an office space and they sit behind a desk and they're like, here's your chair. Is there a way to, I guess, smoothly Suggest sitting somewhere else that's not going to be like offensive or that you're offended that they brought you into this room? Is, is there a way to do that?
3: I think um, that's pretty tricky. You're going to, you know, every situation is different. Uh, everyone's going to have to read the situation. If she thinks she can make a joke and say, wow, I feel really small and dwarfed by your desk. Can, you know, can we sit over here where, where there's a clean surface or something if there's another uh, table in the room or something? So if you can make a joke, humor is tremendously useful in these kinds of interactions it relaxes everybody if you've made somebody laugh you have exercised a little control over them they're you know whatever in your power in a, in a, a limited but you know useful way so you can make a joke hey i you know i feel a little intimidated in front of this big desk and we you know move to wherever you want to move to that's worth a try if you think that'll work but especially if it's a place where you're being interviewed for the first time it's not a promotion interview Sometimes you just have to do it the way they want to do it.
2: couple questions, because we are coming up at time. What are some things that we might be missing that could help us be successful?
3: Well, one is to pay close attention to what's going on on the other side of the table. And this is true for men as well as women. Sometimes we're so preoccupied, so full up with all our prep and all our ideas and all our needs and wishes and all the noise behind that about why we want and why we deserve and why we need that we don't pay enough attention to what the other person needs and wants and what their constraints or their goals or their problems are and that is a real mistake you you really want to you know as prepared going in you want to have done as much research as possible into what's going on on the other side of the table what their needs goals motives problems are but also you know be alert read the room if there's something that they're clearly hung up on and you don't know what it is or or, or why that's where you bring in that super skill. that's where you start you start asking questions. The other thing i'm going to say, and this is controversial, and I have very mixed feelings about it, but some studies show that men are very distracted by body parts, so if you have like a you know a low cut blouse and your cleavage is showing, you're wearing a you know a tight skirt and your legs look great, that will be distracting, and they will not be able to hear the justice of the proposal. They will be just not 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 as able to focus. So dress professionally, try not to have your your looks be part of part of the situation. So recent research, which I hear a lot of people are unhappy about, and is that when women wear too much makeup, they're perceived to be less competent. You wear no makeup, also perceived to be less competent. So you want to try to be put together in a professional but not overdone way. And again What women wear should not have anything to do with how they're treated in any situation, but this is the reality. And so I share it with your listeners for their consideration.
2: Thank you for that disclaimer there. And yes, ladies, I do realize that this is very controversial research and information. And I wish all the information out there was empowering. I want this podcast to be empowering uh, for your difficult conversations and your negotiations, and I want nothing but success for you. But the entire reason we have this podcast for women is because women experience different barriers to success when it comes to negotiation, difficult conversations, and just success in general in the workplace. So I want to put out and make sure that I am giving you all the tools in uh, research uh, to make sure that you have the tools that you need for success in the workplace. So yes, this is controversial, but I want to make sure that you have access to all the information. We are at time. So what is one thing that you want to leave with our audience in order to empower them? Because I know that we've talked a, a lot about the shortcomings, but what can we do to empower the women?
3: Well, one thing I really like to say is we're not good at estimating what our work is worth, what we deserve. So instead of thinking, am I good enough? Did I, whoa, I made that one mistake. Think about what you would recommend to a colleague, a female colleague you really admire, who you think is on your, level. what would you tell her to ask for? Well, that were your sister in the same situation. What would you say to her about what she's worth and what she should, she should be able to get? Because we're pretty good at deciding what other people's work is worth. It's really when we're thinking about ourselves that we just don't know what to, you know, we get lost. So if you can think about how you would advocate for someone else in your position, and women actually have good negotiating skills because we use them on behalf of other people all the time. We use them on behalf of the people we supervise, on behalf of our clients, our students, our patients, our kids. So use those skills on your own behalf.
2: Love it. it's well, brilliant. Before you leave us, Sarah, tell us how we can get in touch of you and where we can find you.
3: Okay. So I have a website, which is just my name, Sarah Lashever. Run in, saralashever.com. You can learn a lot about me. I do a lot of speaking on this subject. I teach workshops. I do private coaching. I'd love to hear from anybody.
2: Guys, go connect with Sarah. She's brilliant. And uh, if you haven't read the books, I will put the links in the description below. If you haven't read them, go read them. They are fantastic and I can't recommend them enough. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure to have
3: you. Me too. Take care.
2: Thanks again for being a listener of the Ask With Confidence podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're enjoying the content, please subscribe and review. We want this podcast to reflect what you, the listener, are experiencing in your everyday life and your feedback will help us do just that. Again, thank you. And we hope you join us in the next episode.